We're preaching through the O Antiphons, these prayers that make up probably the oldest Christmas carol we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This morning, we lifted our voices together and we sang, O Come, Thou Key of David, Come. I know that when we sing Christmas carols, some of them you know by heart, that we are often singing titles and phrases that we don't fully understand what they mean. And if we might even understand a little, we don't know where they find their place in the scriptures. Well, this phrase, key of David, is only used in scripture twice. You're going to see it. It's in the book of Isaiah, chapter 22, referring to a man named Eliakim. And then you're going to see it again as it refers to Jesus in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 7. I'm going to begin at 9, 6, and 7, and I encourage you to pay attention to words like government, shoulders, power, authority, and pegs. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now to Isaiah 22. In that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. And they will hang on him the whole honor of his father's house, the offspring and issue, every small vessel, from the cups to all the flagons. And that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a secure place will give way, and it will be cut down and fall, and the load that was on it will be cut off, for the Lord has spoken. And now to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We use the word key in many situations. If you're a fan of sports, and you like to listen to announcers before the game starts or early in the game, one of the color commentators is going to talk about the keys to victory. In the courtroom, we will see a key witness. Many of you just returned from college or in high school. You had finals this past week. Right now, your professor, your teacher is looking at an answer key, comparing it to your answers. Some of you little ones right now are keyed up. You're excited for what's going to happen a week from today, Christmas. There are keys on a piano, and some of you sing off-key. 
we use the word key in many places. Most of the time when we refer to a key, though, we're talking about unlocking something or finding access to something. How many of you this morning, be honest, couldn't find your keys? Anybody? Yeah, right here, right here. I want you to know in the last hour, George Hansen, nobody had lost their keys. And I called them liars. <laughs> we misplaced them. And then our mothers are very helpful. They say things. Tim Hawkins, a wonderful, clean comedian, says, mothers give great advice. When you lose your keys, she will tell you, well, they have to be somewhere. Or where's the last place you left them? Very helpful, moms, but that's what we do. <laughs> Truth is, right now, some of you feel locked out. You feel locked out of the intimacy and the abundant life that God promised. You might wonder right now if you have the right answer key. Life just is not going the way you thought it would. Some of you are wondering if the key that you are actually holding, though it looks like the right key, really is the right key. Some of you actually even imagine, like some who wait in a long line, only to be confronted by the key master or the doorkeeper, that you're not gonna have the credentials or the ability to get through that door. The reason I start here is because this phrase is really powerful. And understanding the phrase, the key of David, helps us really understand the key of Christmas. That it is a lot more than just a sentimental time. It is a lot more than just a time to reflect for a few weeks upon something that's beautiful. It is about the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doing everything that was necessary to open the door that all who would trust in Jesus might have eternal life. You can leave today, no matter where you stand, you could leave with Christ, you could leave today with full assurance that that door has been opened, that the key to eternity has been unlocked, that you are his forever. But it has something to do with this key of David. So let's look where it first occurs in Scripture. Go with me back to Isaiah 22. I want you to open your Bible or the Blue Pew Bible in front of you because I didn't read everything in chapter 22. And in order to understand what Isaiah is saying to this steward, Eliakim, we need to see what took place before. So go with me to Isaiah 22 and look with me at verse 15. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Come, go to this steward to Shebna. Okay, now Shebna is the steward of the king's house. And he has been unfaithful. Because he has been unfaithful, he is about to be replaced. He's going to be replaced by Eliakim. What he's going to be replaced to do is no small thing. This would be like the prime minister. This is a very significant role with tremendous power and authority. You'll see it. So come, go to the steward, to Shebna, who is over the household, and say to him, What have you to do here, and whom have you here, that you have cut out here a tomb for yourself, you who cut out a tomb on the height and carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock? Behold, listen to this now. This is, this is how seriously God takes holiness. This is how seriously he takes who he is always showing righteousness, always showing grace and mercy too. 
It says, behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. He will seize firm hold on you and whirl you around and around and throw you like a ball into a wide land. There you shall die and there shall be your glorious chariots. You shame of your master's house. I will thrust you from your office and you will be pulled down from your station. This is what happened to Shebna because he was unfaithful to what he was called to do. He would violently be hurled out of his office, but there has to be a successor. And the successor is the man Eliakim. Eliakim, you're gonna hear what he's given and what he's called to do. Verse 20, in that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. Well, what is the authority? The primary authority of this steward, this prime minister, is to protect the king's household. So if an individual wants an audience with the king, the only way they are going to get to the king is through Eliakim. There is no other way. In fact, it says it so strongly over in verse, let's start in verse 22. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. Now this is important. The key of the house of David was not a bunch of keys around a ring that somebody would carry on a belt. They didn't wear things that had pockets. So literally the key would be strapped over their shoulder. It wasn't just a metaphor. This key would be the reality of how I will act when somebody wants in. Will I let them see the king or will I not? No one is getting in to see the king without my approval. I will reveal access or I will deny access. That's the power that Eliakim had. And it goes on. The key of the house of David, he shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. That's strong. In other words, and you've probably been in a place where you wanted to see someone, you wanted access to them, but the gatekeeper said no. And no matter how much money you wanted to give, how much name dropping you did, there was no way you're getting in unless that key master lets you in. This is Eliakim's job and it's powerful. And if he will remain faithful, we are told that he will be like a secure peg and things will be built around him. But something happens. Look with me at the end of the text we read, verse 25. And that day declares the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a secure place will give way. Well, that's because Eliakim, like every prophet, every priest, every leader would sin. There's only one who never sinned. There's only one who never fell. All the other human prophets and priests and kings fell, except for the one we celebrate now, Jesus. The one who was just like John Asher, who was just like these babies baptized today, helpless, held in arms by a mother and a father, trained in the ways in which he was to live, tempted just like we are tempted and even more, but Jesus never fell. Not once. Eliakim, like those before him, he fell. This man, like many people in the Old Testament, foreshadowed the coming of the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, Jesus, all pointing to him. That's why the next time we see the phrase, 
the key of David, it's in the book of Revelation. Let's turn there. Go to Revelation 3 and go ahead and use your Bible that you brought or the blue one in front of you because I want to read another verse. These are the churches that receive letters. This phrase shows up in the early address to the church in Philadelphia. Verse 7 of Revelation 3, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David. This is Jesus. This is who they're talking about. Who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one will open. Do you see that? In other words, the power and authority that Eliakim had to physically keep people out or in, a human being could not knock down the door. A human bring, being couldn't bring enough power. Jesus is now doing the same thing. But this has to do with our heavenly home. This has to do with eternity. And what is being said of Jesus is that he's the one who opens and no one will shut. If he opens the door to you, it cannot be shut. If he closes the door, no one can open it. We can't do this in our flesh. That's what you and I are singing about when we sing, O key of David, come. How many of you knew that already? Raise your hand. A couple of you did. Don't be proud, be thankful. But it's amazing what's there. This is a picture of Christ in the most amazing way. Christ Jesus is the one who has the key of David over his shoulder. But more than that, he's not just the key of David. He is the door. In your Bible, turn to John. You're going to go left several, several books to John chapter 10. And what I want you to hear is familiar to many, but maybe new to some. And it's how Jesus describes himself, which is connected to the key of David. I'm going to read a few verses, beginning at 10.1. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What that means is, if you're a Christian today and you know you've trusted Jesus, through the working of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure how old you were, maybe really young, maybe a week ago, I don't know. But if you're truly in Christ, at some point you heard the voice of God. Now it wasn't audible. It wasn't a voice like your favorite actor who portrays God. It was, though, the Spirit of God opening your eyes, your ears, your mind, and a heart that was dead for God would suddenly beat. That's what happened. You knew it was his voice. You trusted Jesus. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. That's never God's problem. It's ours. Ears that are deaf, eyes that are blind. But God and God alone can open those doors. You and I can't. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He's not just the key of David. 
He is the door. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus writes, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that life, by the way, happens now. That abundant life begins now. It's not wealth and prosperity that's promised, it's security. And that happens now. When that door is open, when you have received Christ, immediately you begin to know the life that he has promised that will go on for eternity. And it is in the the abundant life, not by material possessions, but by a security and peace that you have that when you die, you will not ultimately die forever. You immediately go into the presence of Christ for all eternity. But what was the cost of that life? Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd, the baby that was born in Bethlehem, who lived many years upon the earth, but not to be an old man, a perfectly righteous life, would lay down his life that he truly might be the door Isaiah 9 talks about this child and says the government shall be upon his shoulder. The primary responsibility of that government is that door, open, shut, open, shut. The only way we have access is through Christ Jesus. The only way we could have access is if Christ Jesus would lay down his life for the sheep, and he did. It wasn't pegs that held him on the cross, but nails. It wasn't the key of David that was alone on his shoulder, but the very wrath of God for all of your sins and mine, all of God's children's sins, past, present, future, every bitter thought, Every evil deed, those shoulders that have the government upon them, raise themselves up and down on the cross as he died, laying his life down for us so that he could be the key of David, so that all who would trust in him could have the abundant life now that he promised. The key of David is a powerful statement that gives us the assurance that if we've trusted in him, we have everything we need. Think about all the different ways you and I use keys. Keys open and shut a door, start a car. We have passwords. How many of you in this season are trying to buy something online for someone else forgot your password? And you had to be sent a reminder. And some of you, like me, have places where all your passwords are kept. And we're very thankful for the face recognition. But what happens if your face changes? Gets a little chubbier? Or you grow some hair? When it comes to access to this king's throne, 
there is one way, and it's through one person. The robe that Eliakim received, that was his predecessor's robe, signified that he had authority. You and I, if we are in Christ, are clothed with his robe. In the last hour, my first granddaughter, first grandchild, was baptized. I didn't know much about what she was gonna be wearing until yesterday. And my daughter told me that the gown she was in was made in 1901, a very simple gown. She's the 56th child to be baptized wearing that gown. Think about that. She married Drew Obenchain. That garment comes from his side of the family. All of my kids were baptized in Jimboree, I promise. <laughs> but the gown doesn't gain her access. The history is powerful and beautiful. It doesn't gain her access. The robe of Christ, which she, we pray, will receive one day, gives her access. If you want to know whether or not you're going to spend eternity with God, you have to understand that it's only through him who is the door and the key of David. If you know you know Christ already, you and I should have the posture continually of praise and adoration and thanksgiving because we did not create the answer key. You are not smart enough, bright enough, godly enough to be received by God. We all, like Eliakim, fell even though we were secure. We have Christ. It's his face recognition that matters. It's his answer key that matters. He is the one who represents us before the Father. And in order to do that, he had to lay down his life his perfect life, and he did. Friends, the word of God has been spoken. The promise of God has been revealed. The door will be talked about a little bit later in Revelation 3.20, and it's spoken this way. Behold, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That shows something significant about Christianity, that the key of David is the one who initiates. He knocks. There is a permanence to this door, and there's power in this door. And if today you aren't confident that you have come through that door, that you know Christ, then take this really critical moment in your life and ask some really hard questions. Do you believe what the Bible says is true? Do you think it's the ultimate answer key? If your answer is no, I would love to know why you think that. For many people, though, they've never searched it. They've just found it clever to be cynical or to just have disbelief. We're all gonna die. At some point, our life on this earth will end unless Christ returns first. The Bible speaks about eternity. Eternity with him, 
eternity separated from him. Today, from the book of Isaiah to the book of Revelation, you have heard the truth about this key of David. Jesus is not just the one who holds the key. He is the key. He's not just the key that unlocks the door. He is the door. And that door, Christ, is the way of eternal life. It's been offered to you. Today may be the day in which you will place your faith in Jesus Christ. All you must do is simply pray, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Rescue me, save me. I receive you alone for salvation. And you are his friend. If that happens as I close this in prayer, tell somebody you came with, come down and see me. For everyone else that's already confident that they're in Christ, don't let this next week pass by with you giving very little consideration to what you've heard. The enemy would love for you to be distracted by so many things, including just being sentimental. Friends, what we're talking about has eternal consequence. And if you are his forever, never forget, you didn't deserve it. And neither did I. It's not because he sees all of your righteousness and says, welcome. It's because when you show up and ask for access to the door, the father sees his son in you, over you, clothing you, and says, welcome, come. Father, your word is so rich. So many phrases that often seem like a mystery, and that's because they are. But then your spirit reveals to us, even through an anthem that we're so familiar with, a phrase like the key of David. Thank you for sustaining that line, Christ. You are the king the one true king. You are the priest, the one true priest. You are the prophet, which all prophecy was about. You alone are perfect. God, if there are any here today who are ready to surrender to you, hear their prayers. Friends, pray now what I asked you to earlier. Lord, for all who are confident already that they're yours, Overwhelm us again with the glory of our Savior Jesus that we would see anew the security that we have because he was pegged to the cross. Jesus Christ, that's not where you are now. You are living to intercede on our behalf as our king and one day you will return. And when you do, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh God, open our eyes to that reality and give us a vision while we wait. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen.